We good? We're on? Yeah. yeah. World we're Cup. recording. Oh, World Cup, baby. World Cup, baby. We're on. Bienvenido al episodio 70 del podcast de fútbol del turno de noche. Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast, episode 70, our intro this week coming to you in Spanish, going out to all our Peruvian listeners, I know you're out there, g'day boys, enjoy that, get that one up, yeah. Um, we're off to the World Cup, Tommy's on the other end of the line, we're going to, uh, yeah, let's let's just do it man, let's jump in, how you doing? Hey, happy, I'm, I'm ecstatic Sam, I'm entirely 100% positivity right now, uh, <laughs> satisfied with our success. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. Graham Arnold and Andrew Redmayne's success. Yes. Uh, you know, I guess tonight for us, especially being uh, very not, very much not normal people, we are. <laughs> Great way to put it. Serial chronic whingers and wrapped in cynicism. And it's, I guess tonight we'll be finding that balance between positivity, but also. You know, there's still questions that need to be asked. They're not all heroes. Uh, where should we start with this? Should we start on the positive side or the negative side? Where do you want to go? Let's definitely go the positives. But yeah, I let's did, do that. I did really enjoy at one moment. Uh, what was it like 6.35 in the morning? We'd been up for way too long. Uh, and we just, after the, the penalty goes in, we just message each other like, I don't know, man. I'm not that psyched. <laughs> Felt really weird. Felt really weird. It obviously, did feel I was weird. I don't know. Obviously, psyched for Australia to go through to the World Cup. Um, you know, uh, but I, you know, I couldn't help but let my fears of the future of Australian football get in the way of it at the time. Still, and a lot of that comes back to my just serial dislike of Arnie. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that. Let's let's go positive first. Um, We'll get to that. That's that's why I wanted to bring it up because I think in the moment I didn't really feel anything, and it may have just been tiredness or uh, just you know the nature of the game or whatever. But throughout the day, when you start to see the reaction of people online, the news organisations start to get involved with the celebrations, and then you see the videos of the players on the field after the game, and like yep. just it, it was I think it was the reaction of the playing cohort, you know, like the sheer jubilation of the celebrations. Uh, like the gobsmacking surprise on Redmayne's face when he saves the the penalty that that gets us through. It's it's kind of that thing that we've really been missing. And we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, where do you feel this team or versus like the 2006 World Cup qualification? What what made that different? What and I think it was because we had like an intimate knowledge of the players. And once you get exposed to that kind of thing, and in you know, in the wake of this, the celebrations and stuff, you do start to see you remember that these guys are human beings as well. And like, this is like the biggest moment in a lot of these guys' career is getting into this qualifying for the World Cup for the Socceroos. That is what got me excited in the end. And that's what really was the biggest positive for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you look at someone like, we use Craig Goodwin as an example, who we, we feel has been probably hard done by in terms of, getting chances for the Socceroos over the years. And now he's like 30 and he gets this opportunity. He makes his way into the squad at this time for this moment. Uh, he gets a chance to come on because Bayich is, I'm not sure he would have come on if Bayich hadn't gone down, but he comes yeah, on, gets to take a pen and he absolutely buries it, does his role. 
Uh, yeah, just stuff like that. Excellent. I wear my bill, the scenes after. Um, like you said, the look on Redmayne's face, I think that was from actually when he was selected in the squad. <laughs> he was so surprised. He's like, well, I'm like the 12th best goalkeeper in the A-League. Uh, okay, I'll be there, aren't It was like when he was on site laying bricks and he's like, what? You're giving me a contract? Me? No worries, Grazza. I'll be there. Um, yeah, scenes. Absolute scenes. After what was probably a, a pretty... Uh, I would say it was a terrible game of football, but uh, it was a game of football where I thought Australia genuinely were the better side. Surprisingly. Uh, it, was a, it was like a really weird, cagey game. And I think you you felt the anxiousness of the Peru the Peruvians and you know the record that they have away from home isn't great. And they come in favourites and they talked a lot of shit in the build-up like their football pundits were really giving it to the Socceroos. They were saying, this is a walkover, essentially. They've got no- nothing tactically. They've got nothing technically. We beat them in the World Cup four years ago. Like, there's no reason that we can't repeat this. We're a better nation than we were then. And they they played like a side with a weight of expectation, and the Socceroos didn't. Yeah. I think the opposite. Oh, okay. I, th- I think, uh, on maybe not the opposite, um, I think uh, Peru weren't overly impressive against us in the World Cup. They scrambled a goal to beat us. They, You reckon? Yeah. I thought they I, comfortably beat us in that game, though. I don't know. I'm not sure. That okay. In this game, they were so unimpressive, but I'm not sure it was them carrying the pressure. I thought it was, you know, their coaches come out and talked about how bad Australia are in the build-up to a game. That builds a pretty solid mindset that you are going to be better than this team and if you're not ready to i don't know go out and perform like australia were then that's it's a very hard mentality to change it's hard to get out of that they never got out of that first gear i think there was maybe a little period at the start of the the second half of extra time where they really started they started knocking the ball quicker and fizzed a few shots in they hit the post at one point but apart from that, they just they they weren't overly threatening, and I I thought they just they looked like they looked like a team that were waiting for one of their best players to do something magical to get them a goal, and then they were just going to comfortably stroll on and win. It is it's a, such a stupid thing to do um, to like try and gash your team up as the better side when your opposition all he is saying in the media is the Australian DNA. We're the underdogs. <laughs> We're the ones going to fight and scrap and win and like kill ourselves to win every single individual challenge within this game. It's, it's just such a dumb thing to do because it reinforces the mentality of the opposition side. It really played into our hands that I couldn't believe the media buildup in Peru, in South America generally, or even in Europe as well, who pretty much had Peru penciled in for that, for the group. Didn't uh, everyone though. We did. We did. Uh, there was a... <laughs> <laughs> a good friend of mine messaged me throughout uh, before the game and was like, $2 for Peru to win. That is the absolute best bet of the year. You're not going to get a better double your money chance than this. <laughs> it did look pretty good. Pretty good, easy money. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll go through the start with maybe this, this lineup that we took. Uh, what do you want to pick out of this lineup? Is it what you expected about what you expected or something would have done differently? It was pretty much as I expected with the availability of the players that we had. Yeah. Um, and especially because, uh, play, you know, playing Duke, we're not 
huge fans of him, obviously. We've been over this. But he does perform a very singular task very well. And that is for our centre-backs or our full-backs to bomb it long, for him to do something, not even hold it up, take control of it. He could flick it on, put it into a different space that forces the high press. And I think that was the the idea behind starting him. And it it worked, but it works in a way that kind of nullifies any number nine threat that we have. And that's probably why we didn't have a shot on goal until the 80th minute. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're tackling that that striker position. Yeah, I, I can't stand Duke. Don't rate him at all. But, you know, we... what? It's really hard to stick up for and justify Jamie McLaren's inclusion when he offers... He's offered nothing for the Ruse lately. Uh, when he came on the other night, uh, we looked probably weaker in that position. Um, I think, you know, we, we're just really struggling for someone in that spot. Um, and unfortunately, at the moment, Duke probably is the one that you have to turn to, unfortunately, gross, which, is, isn't it? which is really grim because, like we said the other week, the Lecky experiment up front, that was finished years ago. Uh, yet we even still saw it in this game when Duke came off for um, – who came on for Duke? Mabil. Mm. Came on. I thought Mobile was a great inclusion. We'll get to that in a sec. But um, he moved Lecky up front for a while, and it was like we're not going to try this again, are we? Like it's just it doesn't work. Doesn't work. Um, it's uh, the thing about J Mac yeah. against. Um, uh, yeah, I'll say it, inferior opposition, the UAE. When he came on and actually allowed the build-up play in the final third with uh, Hrustich and Boyle, it worked brilliantly because they were sitting in and they were yep. expecting us to do something. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a theory that J-Mac doesn't turn up in big games. And I would say that he doesn't turn up in big games. Yeah, I think it's a true theory. He doesn't. You can't rely on this guy on, uh, you know, in a match-winning occasion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Definitely fair. Um, <laughs> in saying that, he did knock Adelaide out with a semi-final goal in extra time. But contextually... Outliers. 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 It's an anomaly. <laughs> I don't have the stats to back it up, but fuck it. Remember, <laughs> if we're talking about things from an Adelaide perspective, fuck everyone that isn't us. You um, know the motto. Mabil came on in the 69th minute. I, I <laughs> probably would have had him on a little bit earlier, but um, I think I don't understand why he didn't get any minutes really in the, the UAE game. He came on very late in that one. Um, but, yeah, he... Pretty much did what Boyle did on the other side, where he got the ball and he looked to be really positive and attack and take players on. I, I for me, he should have probably been starting over Matthew Lecky. But um, yeah, what do you think? I think by the time the World Cup rolls around, he will be starting over Matthew Lecky. He's just signed for Cadiz in uh, La Liga. They, I think they did they get promoted or they just survive relegation. Uh, yeah, they, they were in they were in La Liga already. Yeah, so they just just stayed up. He it, that's signing for a side like that. You would preempt that he's going to start most games. Yeah, and you would hope that he has a really full, you know, five months of football or four months of football, whatever it is, running into the World Cup. I can see him starting for us. I thought in the Asian Cup uh, three years ago he was our best performer, and it's only you know the kind of drama he had at Michiland where the new coach came in didn't really rate him. He hasn't played that much. He went out and yep. went to Turkey. That's why he's not starting and that's why he's not in the squad. But he will probably be, again, like he was in 2019, our biggest attacking threat in the World Cup. 
And I, I just full props to this guy, man. Like we know this guy. Person, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the pod. We went to school with this guy. Um, we played against him in Sunday League. Is from what he was then to what he is now. Like when you see him speak professionally for the Socceroos, or you know, speaking in the uh, what's it called, the the Sydney Morning Herald, talking about his refugee existence and scoring a goal as my thank you to Australia for bringing me and my family in. You're just like, oh my god, this guy has. Uh, he is the total professional now and he just looks absolutely ready to grasp a world cup opportunity. And it, it kind of feels like the X factor that we need going into this tournament. We need someone that is going to do something out of the ordinary. And uh, our mobile was that guy that would do it. Yeah. He's got a real likable and lovable kind of mature professionalism about him. Definitely. Uh, I agree. I think going into the world cup, I'd be having him starting over lucky for sure. Um, our back two pairing, I've seen, you know, we've made comments and I've seen other people make comments about, um, you know, Arnie has had <laughs> four years to settle on a on a defence and we're, we're picking these two guys that have barely played. Um, I don't know. I, I have to say I think the injury to Trent um, and the drop in Milos Degenek's form has been a blessing in disguise to get roles in. Not so sure about Bailey Wright. He's been good in these two games, I think. Bailey Wright, still not sure about him going forward, though. I'd still be hoping we can get another defender in there next to Rolls. But been thrilled with Rolls. I'd be starting him in the World Cup, giving him the chance. We've got nothing to lose. Um, uh, yeah, blessing in disguise, some of those injuries and drops in form. It's a good call because Sainsbury doesn't have a club, does he? I can't remember the last time this guy played club football. Um I can't remember the last time I watched the game and thought he played very well either. Yeah, there's that too. For Australia. He is uh, Graham Arnold's uh, son-in-law. So yes, we know. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit of that. Surely not. He is still one of Australia's best five centre-backs. So he's he there is. purely on merit, yeah, definitely. He is. Um, you'd think Harry Sutar comes in and plays that defensive role with, yeah, probably Kai Riles because he has been phenomenal. Let's just throw it out there. Imagine we had... Uh, Kai Rouse and Alexander Popovich, centre-back partnership for the World Cup. There it is. <laughs> You're Popovich. That'll keep it Yeah. Dude, I'm almost, and I know we're biased because we're an Adelaide United predominant pod, but I would have him as as on Kai Rouse's territory. Like, he had a fuller season, obviously. He had a yeah. complete A-League season. But I reckon if you give Popovich six months, he will be at the same place that Kai's at now. And if you're going to play him, why wouldn't you play Popovich too? I just yeah, the, he I won't have know. he won't have played enough football in that time. Popovich it'll be probably the same, it'll be the same amount of football, I'd say. No, but, but I mean, but in terms of uh, like uh, the amount of football roles has already played. Okay, yeah, and what Popovich has played. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, because he obviously keeps playing games. Obviously, we know that Popovich will be the Socceroos captain in a few World Cups time anyway, because he's the best player in Australia. So. Don't worry about that. He'll get his time. You say that with a kind of ironic tinge. I honestly believe that. I was I was being half and half. Um, Kai just signed for Hearts, did he not? Yes, I believe yes. so. So let's hope he gets a centre-back berth from the start of the season and continues all the way through because I agree with you. He should definitely be one of the centre-backs going into the World Cup. And why the hell not? The guy is great. It's such assuredness and composure for a man of his age and his experience. 
Yeah. Him and Bailey Rye were great. I thought I thought they were great. They're great in this situation. They're not going to be great for the World Cup together. Fair. Um, I want to move on to the goalkeeper now because it was <laughs> obviously <laughs> the biggest. It's the big talking point, and this is where we'll probably start our crossover in towards the uh, some of the the media stories, and then that'll cross over into our our feelings about Arnie. So we'll head into that now, but we'll start with the substitution, taking Matt Ryan off the captain to bring on Andrew Redmayne, who I do not believe to be in the best, maybe 10 Australian goalkeepers. Um, he he comes them? on, could, gets... Actually, no, Sam, not right Sam now. could we name them? Could we name not them? Not right now. <laughs> not right now, we couldn't. We'll put a post up at the end of the week. (laughs) Sure, you do it. Um, Coming on, though, getting that last penalty save, hmm, what do you reckon? What are your thoughts? (laughs) Oh, It's it's obviously a a tactical masterstroke. It's it's genius. There's nothing more that you can say other than uh, Redmayne has a worse penalty record than Matt Ryan in professional football. So I just... (laughs) When you look at the cold hard stats, why has the change been made? It doesn't. And I mean, everybody collectively freaked out when they saw this happening. Everybody thought the same thing. What the fuck is this guy doing right now? Yeah. And I can't, um, I can't even say that he's been vindicated by the decision because he made one save of six penalty shots, the same amount the Peruvian keeper made. So uh, was yeah. it was it, it attacking master strike? No, it wasn't. It's a case, you know, I don't want to go, you know, Redmayne doesn't pick the side. Uh, it's not his not. fault. He just has to I mean, go out there really, and do his job. He really he seems like a really likable guy too. He does. Yeah. And he went out there and he did his job and he he did save a penalty. Um, you know, who's to say Ryan wouldn't have saved two like, you know. Um it was a horrible penalty. Redmayne still had to save it. So we don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm taking anything away from him, but I definitely want to take it away from Arnold. This is not a tactical masterpiece. It's just I I didn't think it was when when coaches have done this in the past and the goalkeeper they've brought on has, you know, won them the shootout because he's got a much better penalty record and stuff. And but I think when Louis Van Van Gaal did it the first time and everyone called him a tactical genius. And I was like, Yeah, was it with Tim Krull? Yeah. What's genius about playing the best person for that position in their <laughs> yeah. position. I don't, what's, what, where's the genius in that? You know, that's your job. That's literally your number one job. <laughs> it's to play like, the best players in their positions. If you brought on Messi late in a game and he scored a double to win it, it wouldn't be <laughs> tactical genius. It'd be like, wow, Messi's unreal. Should, should have started him. <laughs> Obviously a penalty shootout's different circumstances, but you know, here we are. I, yeah, I don't think it was a tactical masterstroke at all. And it, it probably just sounds bitter because we don't like Graham Arnold. We don't like this kind of positive press that he receives in this in the wake of it. But it's not anything out of the ordinary, like you said, and it's not groundbreaking, nor did it make any sense. That's the thing about Graham Arnold teams is that he makes decisions that make no sense. And then when they come off, he was supposed to hail him as a genius. And I don't, I don't think that's what genius is. Genius is calculated risk. But he yeah. didn't do that because the no, calculated he didn't. risk would have left Ryan on. You would have left Ryan on because he's got a better record. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I, I don't know. Whatever. I just, it's all I've got really to add to that. I just, I don't think. Well, I'll give, maybe the winning tactic was bringing Redmayne on and instructing him to throw the goalkeepers, the opposition goalkeepers water bottle into the crowd. That over, the over the fence. Over the fence. Over the advertising hoarding. It didn't go into the stands. That's a lie. It's a fabrication. He didn't just <laughs> launch a bottle into the stands. We can see the footage. He's lobbed it over the fence. Okay. Well, similar. That was, that I mean, was for specific listeners, that little rant then. The, the outcome was still the same. <laughs> that the Peruvian keeper had no idea where we were going after that. And look, I don't know how um, Boyle takes pens, whether or not that was instructed when he saved the, the initial one. Does he always go that? It's a weird penalty action, closing your body up and trying to hit it across the keeper. You really got to do that well. And he did not do that well. Kind of a similar save to what Redmay made, uh, made in the end. All in all, it was a pretty lackluster penalty shootout, except for ice cool Goodwin and Awer sending the keeper the wrong way, which was really good to see. Yeah, excellent. Because that Brilliant. was the most nervous penalty for me of the lot because I saw Awer stand up and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Please score. Not, not please score because I want the Socceroos to go through to the World Cup, but please score so that dead shits do not fill your DMs today <laughs> with some <Yeah>. ridiculous <laughs> crap. <laughs> mine was uh mine was Craig's because definitely you know we we love our Craig and we've talked him up a lot because he is worthy of it but you know had he missed that there would have been all like the oh this is why he didn't win the Johnny Warren thing you know just shit like that maybe that was just me in my own head but uh I think it yeah. could be a little bit we've seen Craig butcher a few pens as well yeah we have definitely and I've really wanted this one buried <laughs> so and, and he did, did he do it jesus christ he absolutely buried it um so i guess we'll get into this now briefly we won't go on too long but going forward to the world cup they're going to keep arnold obviously yeah i would still rather see him replaced i think uh <laughs> this is why I, where i say we were torn I'm worried that him qualif- getting through and qualifying for this World Cup leaves us in this position again where the people at the top think everything's going fine and swimmingly and that there's no real need for any sort of change in whether through coaching or through the way we develop youth in Australia. I feel like things would just stay the same. And you could argue they were probably going to stay the same anyway had we lost and not gone to the World Cup. But, um, you know, I like to think if you didn't, you have to investigate those things and look at them. I think at the end of the day, it was still a pretty awful run for the <laughs> the record breakers. Um, <laughs> yes. And I'm pretty sick of hearing all this stuff about the about how big an achievement it was for Australia to qualify for this World Cup. Qualifying is expected. Now, we're expected to qualify. That was the whole point of joining the Asian Federation was to grow as a footballing nation, to get better um, and be able to not just compete with the Asian countries but go past them. Uh, We're still forgetting, you know, this coach was knocked out pretty poorly in the Asian Cup, Um, gets through by the skin of his teeth to a World Cup. I, I wouldn't be looking to praise him in any way right now. 
Yeah, Arnie called it one of the greatest achievements ever. Yeah, he did, and it pissed me off because <laughs> it's not. Because and we finished know- third in our group. We had to go through the, the playoffs to get there. I know, you know. It, so did Ange. Come on. So did Ange, yeah. Um, but come on, man. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, I guess it boils down to what you classify as achievement for the national team because the Football Federation or whatever they're called now, Football Australia, I think achievement is making the World Cup. And there are, you know, 160 nations in the world that achievement is making the World Cup. Look at Wales. Like we've been talking about Wales a bit lately. 64 years out of the national, of this major tournament just qualifying is enough for them. Like you said, we've done five in a row. We're in the Asian Confederation to be the best, assert our dominance, maybe even drag the Asian Confederation up a notch, try and take over that third mantle of Africa. But for me still, I still feel like achieving achievement for Australia is qualifying for the World Cup. And so I can see why people would simply praise the team or the manager or the football authority for getting us there because we don't, we don't do anything in a world cup. <laughs> we always go out in the group stage. Like that's, that's yeah. what we do now. Yeah, we do. I feel like, uh, I feel like Burnley aiming for 17th every year. That's what it is. Hey, it's, that's what it is. And I, we, we have the resources to be better than this, but we're not. You know, we can only do what we can with the players we've currently got, but the players we've currently got is a result of the entire system in the country in the first place. Um, and and Arnie is the guy in charge of all this in terms of the national team. He takes on the Oli Ruse himself as well. He, um, I think he's passed that up now. I think he's, he's given it, it up to now. A, yeah, he's but, given it to Aurelio, hasn't he? Really, a bit bump? I'm not sure, but just... I don't know. I did the news articles this week about how good he is as a manager and uh, some of the we, – we predict this thing all the time with the, the old Fox Sports boys all coming out and back. Daniel Garb hasn't shut oh. the fuck up this week. Like, oh, my God. Give it a spell, bro. We've had enough. All right. He had Yeah, he well had done. Particular... We got there, but let's just tone it down. Just qualifying is good. Yes, well done. We're happy to be going, but let's not – act like this should be papering over all our gaping holes. Exactly. I've got the quote here from Garb, what he said on ABC Sport, which, side note, really nice to see ABC Sport get involved with the Socceroos or Australian football at all. Well done. Thank you for remembering that we exist. Yeah. Um, This was Garby. I'm still struggling to fathom the cojones on Graham Arnold in reference to subbing the keeper. Like, bro, this is not the first fucking time it's ever happened. Have you never... you're, you used to report on the Premier League as a living. How have you never seen this kind of thing happen before? This is not a big ball moment. This is not big dick energy. This is a guy who is literally facing the demise of his career. Because who the yep. fuck is going to hire him after failing in Japan and failing for the second time with a national team? This is a guy that I think has gone, oh, shit. And you know what? You should also talk about this as well. John Crawley is the goalkeeper coach. Great goalkeeper coach. Don't get me wrong. Totally deserves to be in the national team setup. But when you look at the team or the, the team of goalkeepers that the two of them pick, it's uh, Matt Ryan, 
who they both coached at the Mariners. Danny Vukovic, who they both coached. Andrew Redmayne, who they both coached. It is, it's the literal boys club of goalkeepers within the Socceroos. And it's just, it's so, it's so painful to me to think that you've got on one hand, Goodwin and uh, Mabil and McGreasing on the bench from this really hotbed of football talent in the Northern suburbs of South Australia. But then you've got this really insular looking one coach, one goalkeeping coach, only picking players that they've coached before for the national team. And then elevating these guys to say that they are some kind of mercurial genius wizards. It's like, no, they're not, man. Yeah, They're not. They're just fucking not. There's definitely elements of what you've said there. I don't, I'm not sure I agree. Like the goalkeeping is probably not the best example of it, red man aside, because Matt Ryan and Danny Vukovic probably are the two best Australian goalkeepers. Um, are they the best keepers but, because they've been given the best opportunities to perform? What do you mean? But, what I'm saying, you could have easily in this squad Mark Berry Giddy. Easily. You because could. he hasn't been coached by Graham Arnold or John Crawley, he's not in the team. No, but but what do you? Yeah, but I'm not sure. What I'm you're saying, suggesting in terms of I'm like saying, someone like I'm Matt Ryan and Vukovic. I'm saying that Berigidi is the second best keeper in the country. Not Redmayne, not Vukovic. It should be Matt Ryan, Mark Berigidi. That's fair, but you know you've still got. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to clarify the Matt Ryan thing here. He's, Oh, no, no. He's obviously an exceptional goalkeeper who's gone and played in the Premier League. It was signed by Arsenal, obviously. Yes, Um, sorry. Yeah, he's 100% the best. What I'm saying about the supporting cast... I I still think Vukovic is there. Um, And then, yeah, I would... The likes of Birigetti or someone, definitely not Redmayne, I think that's for sure. But, yeah, there's definitely other elements of the squad where it is true. Like, how long... How many games did we have to sit through of Ryan Grant playing right back um, despite playing for a Sydney side that were awful... Or um, Trent, Trent Saysbury, even when he's not in form, you know, we said he's probably in the best few centre-backs in Australia, but even when he's not in form, he's walking into the side. Mm. Um, even without a club, he walks in. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know, just, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Just on that quickly about players not playing a lot, um, Aaron Moy. Hadn't played a professional game since mid-Feb. Mm-hmm. Has played 90 minutes against the UAE, 120 minutes against Peru. Um, what a heroic ethic. Like, that is the actual yeah. hero in the circumstance, I feel, is Aaron Moy. I wasn't sold on him in the UAE game. I thought he was pretty good in this Peru game. I thought he was really good against thought, Peru. When you talk about... Um, and it's, it's interesting to watch England at the moment because they're doing their nation leagues thing. It doesn't really matter. It's not no, a thing. It they win, they're not aiming to win it. Who cares? They don't, they don't, they don't care. They're going to qualify for the Euros no matter what. It doesn't matter. Um, but when you look at what they're grappling with, and at the moment, a lot of the stuff that I'm listening to is them saying, we don't have the cattle to mix it with the best teams in Europe. They don't have the midfield. They don't have a Luka Modric or they don't have uh, a, a Locatelli or, you know, they don't. Yeah. They're just missing that kind of enigmatic midfielder. And when I think about Australia, I think we, we have that. We actually have that. We've got Rogic and we've got Moy and we've got Awema Bill on the wing and we've got, you know, uh, Martin Boyle that wants to run at players and we've got Huristic who can actually create something out of nothing. And when I think about, especially Duke who said post-game, we did it the hard way. So many people wrote us off. You know, we've played 
this amount of amalgamation of players, whatever. It's like, but you have not done anything that other qualifying nations haven't done. And they're talking about, we only played four games at home. It's like, what are you talking about at home? The majority of the team plays in Europe. If we're playing in Asia, it's closer for them. It's easier for them to get to. It's like a normal thing for them to acclimatize because they're used to Australian summers. This whole, this, I don't know. It just, it feels like a victim complex that we have. And I hate it. I fucking hate it. We did it the hard way. No, you didn't, man. You did it the same way everyone else did. If it was hard, it was because we did that to ourselves. Yes. We put ourselves in that position. Um, yeah, I don't know. We might just, uh, I don't know if you got anything else to add. I think we probably whinged as much as we could after qualifying for the World Cup. <laughs> uh, we did start positively, though. So we did both sides of the fence there. Um, That's the main thing. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? I just, I wanted to ask you about the World Cup group. Obviously, we'll do it in more depth now because we're going to be in the World Cup and who knows what this pod will turn into in the World Cup. But, I just wanted to know, I just wanted to ask you what you thought would happen. So we have France, we have Denmark, we have Tunisia. It's a long way away, obviously, but your initial thoughts. Uh, my initial thoughts is we we try to get a result against Tunisia and then we could potentially get a draw against Denmark if we were playing really well. And I think it's it's the usual for us in a World Cup is there's one team we circle where we think this is our chance to get a win. This is a team where we think we could get a draw if we play great. Uh, this team's probably out of our reach, but we'll have a crack. So, yeah. It does seem like that. Um, I'm going to plump for the most, it's the hope that kills you scenario. Mm. And so I can imagine, right? So we have Denmark first. Yeah. It's a good contest. Uh, the danger can tell they're a little bit better equipped, right? They're faster, stronger more tactically astute, pretty much like it was in 2018. Uh, we defend deep, though, and we stay resolute, and we cling on for a scoreless draw. And so you're like, all right, sick. We did it. We achieved that. France second. Riding high off a comfortable 2-0 win over Tunisia. Uh, they start hot. Benzema hungry for a Ballon d'Or. He gets the scoring underway within five minutes. But the French so typical of their culture and nature. They start to take it a little bit easy. They think they've got this game won. We turn it on a little bit. We meander into halftime thinking we're still within this contest. Second half starts. Aweber Bill starts running at fullbacks, crossing balls into Duke, who's just knocking it down for any old player to run into. Hrustic gets on the ball. Moy's doing things. Rogic comes off the bench, curls one in, 88th minute. Equalizer, 1-1. One, one. You fucking beauty. We've got two points. We go into the Tunisia game. We think, shit, if we win this, we qualify for the next stage. Tunisia beat us 3-0. All right. Well, I'll put a sock in that straight away by saying that we play France first anyway, and then Tunisia and Denmark last. So thanks for that. Oh, have they already drawn it? Yeah, yeah. We have, we have kickoff times and everything. Uh, oh, the, highlight, the highlight, uh, if you're in Australia, is uh, whoop, let me find it here. Let me get my calendar, but I'm pretty Who sure it's France and then Tunisia. France, so be Denmark, Tunisia, and Denmark. Okay. Um, so we lose 3 0 to Denmark. But Saturday, the 26th of November, 
Uh, we play Tunisia in our second group game at 8.30 p.m. Oh. 8.30 p.m. on a Saturday night in Australia. So get around that one. Get the How fuck good. in there. Where are we yeah. going to be for that? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. No, Maybe we'll set up a mic somewhere and go live. Um, That'd be hot. Maybe they should, they should close down North Terrace and uh, put it on a big screen. I don't know, man. Don't ask me. I'm ready to wrap it up. I've had enough. It's been a long season. We're done. Uh, unless you want, We're you done. want to quickly... Uh, you're, I don't know. We don't really need to talk about it, I guess. Nick, Nick Ansel <laughs> signing on Adelaide United. We're not doing this. Signing, signing on indeed. Yeah. yeah. Look, give him a full preseason. Uh, injury-free, I think he'd be actually a decent addition. Cool. That'll do. We'll wrap it up. We'll be back in, oh, I don't know. What do you reckon, man? Color, color months know. or what? Yeah, when's the next thing that's happening? I'm not sure. Uh, we'll probably do some specials. We'll watch some films, some football-related films. Yeah, a bit of off-season. We'll still be posting stuff, so keep getting around us on the socials. Tell your, tell your mates. Uh, get them to go back and listen to episodes from this season if you can. That'd be nice. Um, yeah, cheers. On your cover. You know, you know what would be great, Sam? If we what? did a clip show, we took out the best bits of the previous season and put it into one episode and uploaded it. You mean, wouldn't it be cool if I did more work on this? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Is, is that how everyone interpreted it? I think that's how it is. <laughs> Bye. Peru snooze, you ruse. I can't end on that. I cannot end on that. That's, that is one of your worst. And I'm not cutting it out. I'm leaving it in there in the final edit so people can hear it. That's this is the guy, ladies and gentlemen, that runs our Twitter page. So when you all come, when you all send me messages like, "Oh my God, is this you on Twitter telling someone to fuck off after Adelaide United have lost?" It's uh, it's 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 this guy. It's this guy that just pulled out that. What is that? Snooze Peru something? I don't know. Just doesn't deserve anymore. Peru snooze, you ruse. It's just the headline I read. This is the headline I read. I didn't write it. I'm just plagiarizing. Absolutely disgusting. Goodbye. Keep well.